Please remain standing for our scripture for today, which comes to us from Acts chapter 16. Beginning with verse 9, hear these words. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day, we went to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of the district of Macedonia. We stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come stay at my house. And she persuaded us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Again, we thank you for being here with us this morning. I love a good magic trick. When I was a little boy, I remember receiving a beginner's magic set for my birthday. It had a magic wand that flowers came out of. It had a cup that a ball was hidden in top of it, and if you put the cup down, you could show people that nothing was there, and then when you put the cup back down, the ball appeared. It even had a magic coloring book. My parents pretended to ooh and ah at every magic show that I put on, even with the same tricks over and over. I still enjoy a good magic trick. Card tricks are also a favorite. You know, when the magician will fan out a deck of cards and you can choose one, you, you're the only one that knows what that card is. Now, one time I picked a card with utmost care and I placed it back in the middle of the deck the magician went through an elaborate story, taking cards away, and finally, it was down to two cards. He picked one of them up, looked at me squarely in the eyes, and asked, is this your card? To which I responded, no. <laughs> that's, not my, that's not my card. Well, after that, dad never did another magic trick. <laughs> but that was the story that came to me after reading this story in our scripture for today. In, in this week's Bible reading, Paul had a dream. He had a vision. And we have many examples of dreams and visions throughout scripture. Jacob had a dream. He promised to follow God and his life was changed forever. 
Solomon had a dream and asked God for wisdom. The Magi had a dream and looked for a different route home, avoiding the return visit to Herod. Pilate's wife dreamed and warned Pilate not to have anything to do with Jesus' persecution. Peter dreamed and understood God's unconditional love for everyone. Now in Paul's dream today, he saw a man from Macedonia. First, Macedonia is a powerful place with a great history of military might. Philip the Macedon and his son was Alexander the Great. They were military leaders 300 years before Paul. We all know that Jesus didn't come to conquer anything with military might. Jesus came in peace and with good news. Paul was going to Macedonia to bring this good news of Jesus. So Paul is on the move, proclaiming the good news in a part of the ancient world. And the verses right before our reading today, if you were to look back at those, we learn a little more. We learn a little more because it says Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia and tried to enter another city, but the Spirit of Jesus, or the Holy Spirit, would not allow them to enter those places. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. And that's where our scripture began today. It's a great reminder to Paul and his companions, and even to us, the church today, that God is in charge of our direction and our mission, individually and collectively. One might think that a vision from God makes everything clear. But even a vision requires interpretation. Also, it's worth noting that this is, this is the first point in Acts where the narrator seems to become part of the story, to become one of the characters in the story. And it's debated if Luke really was there or if the information was just passed on to Luke. I think it's fun to think about. I'm not sure it really matters to me if Luke was there or not. If he was an eyewitness, we have the story, and that's what matters. Again, the first stop on the itinerary for Paul and his companions, Macedonia. Repeatedly, the Holy Spirit keeps redirecting Paul's journey, blocking their path to go everywhere but to the west, across the Aegean Sea, and onto the European continent. It's almost like a divine GPS system was neglecting to tell these evangelists where to go, but continually produced clear roadblocks where they could not go. Paul confronts detour after detour without a precise destination. Clarity only arrives when Paul and company arrive at the port of Troas. This is where the vision happens. And this is where Paul sees the Macedonian man begging for his help. About this vision, much is left unsaid. But as far as we know, 
Smooth sailing brings them to Philippi, one of the larger cities in the area. Up to this point, the typical practice of Paul has been and will be to seek a synagogue first. However, the Sabbath day finds them not at a synagogue, but an unlikely location outside the gates on the fringe of this powerful city. Outside the city, they think they would find a place of prayer. And it's clear that the Spirit has led them this far and has continued to do so to this point because this is where Paul finds Lydia in this unlikely place of prayer down by the river. A group of women listening to Paul and his companions Lydia is highlighted in three ways. She's a worshiper of God, a native of Thyatira, as well as a seller of purple cloth. And we'll talk more about Lydia in just a minute. For Lydia, a natural result of her and, and her household receiving the good news is to welcome these strangers into her home. Oftentimes, when people preach on Lydia, uh, they will focus on Lydia being the first European convert to Christianity. Luke probably didn't have that in mind when he wrote this. Lydia is associated with Theatera. And so even though she is on the European soil in Philippi, she's actually from the other side of the Aegean. To first century Christians, the history of the powerful city of Macedonia would have come to the reader's mind rather than Christianity's arrival onto the new continent soil. Part of this story is certainly about Lydia's conversion, but we should also focus on how to follow God's call to find opportunities to do God's work in unexpected places to do God's work in unexpected places. Philippi was a Macedonian frontier town, a Roman colony, a military outpost, a section of the Roman road system that's called the Via Ignacia, passed through Philippi. This meant that the city was on a direct trade route and military route that connected what is now modern-day Albania and the Republic of Macedonia, Greece, and European Turkey. Philippi must have seemed very different than other cities that they had visited in Asia Minor. No one was there to greet them. There was no Jewish synagogue for them to connect with. And in places just like that, God planted and still plants the church to the community that says no to the ways of imperial power or no to a way of a different way of life, a different story, a different promise. This is what the church is still called to be and offer in the face of different and not so different systems of power and oppression. The appeal of the vision is urgent, and the response to it is immediate. But the results are not seen right away, as we can expect. When God does begin to work on Philippi, 
it comes with a certain surprise. Paul's vision had involved a Macedonian man, but the first to welcome the gospel in Philippi was a woman. In fact, a woman from the area that Paul had just come from. Any simple expectations about God's mission are clearly going to be wrong. How odd and how grace-filled that this woman was, where the Holy Spirit had forbidden Paul to go, has now met them in Philippi. And here's the gospel. From beginning to end, this text stresses that it is God who is in charge of the mission. God who sets the direction and God who determines the results. Lydia's faith becomes immediately active. She is baptized along with all of those in her household and she opens her home. Social and cultural barriers crumble and this corner of the empire is beginning to be changed by God's grace. The author of Acts says that Lydia prevailed upon, that's a translation from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible, prevailed upon Paul and his companions to stay with her and accept her hospitality. There's only one other place in our scripture where that word is used, and that's in Emmaus on Easter evening as the two traveling disciples urged the risen Jesus to stay with them that night. So if we look at the main characters of this story, where do we see ourselves? Where do we see ourselves? Lydia is one of the many mothers of Christianity. Lydia was the, the again, the first European convert of Christianity, even though it was just because she happened to be on the continent. Lydia was the founder of the church at Philippi. The scriptures tell us that before Paul and Silas proclaimed the gospel to Lydia, she was a God-fearer. God-fearers, they were given that name, people who were not Jewish, but who were so intrigued by the God of the Jews, and they worshiped, and they lived their lives, lives as if they were Jews. So right from the beginning of the story, Lydia is described in an unconventional way. We're told that Lydia was a God-fearer, a worshiper of God, and a dealer, of, uh, a dealer in purple. Now, an introduction like that may not seem very unconventional to us, but we have to remember that the writer of the book of Acts, to have described the situation here, Paul and Silas are two strange men in town to meet a woman, and any woman in and of itself was unconventional for these people to... to to meet each other and to have a conversation. When the Acts of the Apostles was written sometime between uh, at the end of the, the uh, first century, this sort of encounter would have been considered very outrageous. Women and men, especially strange men, didn't have public encounters. As for Lydia being a dealer in purple, well, people hearing the story in the first century would have been amazed first that a woman was a business person. The very idea of a woman conducting business. And as for the color purple, the dye was expensive to make. Wearing purple was a, a statement 
of status, and it was a statement of wealth. Author Ronald Cole Turner notes that we really know nothing else about Lydia, but what we do know is fascinating. Who was this woman making her way independently in a world run by men? Who was this Gentile who sought the God of Judaism? The text only tells us that she was a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. However, in those two phrases, Scripture shows us that work and worship both had their place in the life of this remarkable, busy woman. And at the riverside, at the riverside, Lydia found the God who was also finding her. Lydia appears to be the head of her household. She's an independent businesswoman. We need not assume that she was a widow. Lydia was also a worshiper of God who leads a household in worship on the Sabbath. And we remember an, other Gentile worshipers of Israel's God in the book of Acts. You can see it in the uh, Ethiopian eunuch or the Roman centurion, Cornelius. Both hear the good news and in their own context, they request to be baptized. Paul's status is also complicated. His people, the Jewish people, have been conquered and colonized, but Paul is a Roman citizen. He enjoys privileges that Lydia and her family may not, presuming that she's not a member of the empire, a citizen of the empire. In his book, Jesus and the Disinherited, the author Howard Thurman writes that if a Roman soldier pushed Jesus into a ditch, Jesus could not appeal to Caesar. He, unlike Paul, Thurman said, would be just another Jew in the ditch. Paul had privilege in Roman territory. It also appears that Lydia wants Paul to view her submission to baptism as some proof of her faithfulness to the Lord. Based on her proven faithfulness, she asks Paul to accept the hospitality she has offered and visit for a while in their home. We might imagine that with Paul's stay with Lydia and her household, on some Sabbath, Paul may even have been blessed to hear Lydia preach the good news. Everybody deserves to hear the good news sometimes. It's also possible that Lydia's hospitality included a mutual sharing of the gospel, reminding us that good news is not the spiritual and intellectual property of an only male society or even a particular region of the world. And true discipleship and learning involves dialogue, mutuality, humility. We might see Lydia as a disciple like Tabitha that we read about, who taught her house gathering how to worship God in word and acts of kindness. Worship, hospitality, kindness, these are all tied to our faith. A thread that weaves its way from this small story in the book of Acts to today. I guess one question is, are we just too busy to notice 
how that thread stretches to us? Or do we even care? There are a thousand ways that we can spend our days, our energies, our efforts. And in the midst of all the choices, what would it mean if we, if we simply wondered how God is speaking to us in the midst of all of this? Maybe we find ourselves like Paul. Maybe we find ourselves called to Macedonia. What do you suppose would happen if we simply set sail and went? What do you suppose would happen? What sort of surprises might be waiting for us? Who might we meet down by the river outside of town who would change the course of mission for the church and for each and all of us? And where could we discover and receive unexpected hospitality? Paul was open to seeing the vision God offered him. Are we prepared to see the vision that God offers us? I wonder how I might be more open this way. I wonder how we all might be more open this way. I love the story of St. Columba, a priest in 6th century Ireland. He got into a rudderless boat and let God take him where he was meant to be. He made landfall once, but he could still see his homeland on the horizon. So he pushed out again in the rudderless boat and continued. The second place he landed was Iona, the island where Christianity first touched Scotland. How are we being called beyond our carefully considered plans, our safe assumptions into something daring, unpredictable, maybe even unprecedented? It is time to unhook ourselves from all that holds us back, to launch out in new directions. And I believe God has something so exciting in store for us. Theologian and author Barbara Brown Taylor explains, Jesus did not have a home he could welcome people into. He could not cook anyone a meal nor offer anyone a bed, which may be what gave him such a hospitable heart. While others opened their homes to him, lending him a table to preside over at night, his own hospitality was much more likely to take place in a field or a boat or a road or a mountain. Wherever people who felt like strangers happened to meet the person who made them feel like they were family. It was a true gift that Jesus had. This divine practice of encounter 
that was so valuable to him. And he did his best to teach all of his followers the same. Even today, Lydia can teach us so much about staying close to faith community, about being open to the Spirit, and already to res- and ready to respond to God, about embodying hospitality rooted in God's grace. Theologian Walter Brueggemann says that Paul invited his listeners in Philippi to generosity based on God's bottomless mercy. Lydia was recruited for the new commandment of love. Having been stirred by the gracious generosity of God, Lydia then became generous with what she had, a gracious stewardship of the gift that she had been given. I I read that only people who were basically at home and at home in themselves can truly offer hospitality. Lydia found that home and that gracious peace in her own skin within the company of the community of faith. And that sense of home by God's grace helped her to open her heart as well as open her home. And that is perhaps her ultimate and most important lesson for us in this story her reminder that the final act of grace that we experience is always to help us become more gracious. Always to help us become more gracious. Because the early Christians were continuing to learn that God's neighborhood, God's neighborhood is everywhere and is open to everyone. And that's our invitation And yes, I do believe that is our card. Amen. Faith means to me trusting that even though God may not answer my prayers in that exact moment, that He will be there for me and eventually those prayers will be answered in the way God sees fit for me and my family. Um, faith means to me for always believing in God and knowing that He's always there for me even if I make a mistake. I think it's unequivocally just having um, the belief that even though you don't have the answers to something, that it's still it's it's still okay to believe in something and put put your trust in something that it's ultimately going to work out the way it should, and that it might not be the answer you're looking for, but an answer will come one way or the other. Um, I I have talked a lot with some friends about how your faith and belief in God can be very situational, and I find that very true. For me as well that I was born into a family of faith but was also given the opportunity to find that faith and belief in God for myself and I'm happy to say I agreed um, but it it has been a journey since the very beginning um, and I would say that was true for our relationship as well it was a, a very early topic of 
you know, if this thing works out, we're going to go to church, you know? <laughs> True. I, I think it's an evolving process. I don't think anybody can necessarily say their faith journey is finished until the very end. I, I think that's back to what faith actually is, right? It's it's putting the belief in something. Um, and, and for us, so much of faith is nurtured and, and rooted in family. And that's just because whether it's your church family or your nuclear family at home or whatever the case may be, whatever your family looks like, that is who's going to instill those values and help grow that faith, you know, nurture it along. It's, it's you know, like growing a flower, you know, you, you feed it, you water it, you do those kinds of things until it, until it blossoms and even then it's not done. It's, it's a cycle it continues and there are times when your faith is strong and there's other times your faith is not. I feel like this is going to sound cliche, but I feel like the daily question is, what would Jesus do? And using my faith and the teachings of Jesus is my moral compass of living a life worthy in His eyes.